Six minutes past seven o'clock. You know what that means. It's time for Iron Sports 95.9, the true oldies channel. Mike and Sean, we're here with you as well. Ira's on the phone with us. I don't know where he's at. We'll find that out in just a minute. But Ira, you know, we always talk about this time of the year being a lull. Whereas this past week in sports has been arguably the most exciting of the year. We're going to cover it all tonight, Ira. Um, this is this week has been tremendous. This is a week that I think people are going to talk about five years from now, ten years from now, and things that happen this week they're going to be talking about. This is what they're going to be mentioning years and years to go, could come because we got from hockey to basketball to horse racing, it's just, to tennis, everything. It was just historic, historic uh, achievements. H- historic doesn't do it justice, as we did see the thirteenth triple crown ever as well as two amazing series come to an end and two dynasties possibly, one being cemented and one maybe on the upcoming. We'll talk about that just coming up on Iron Sports. Professional golfer Scott Deal joins us in about three minutes. You're going to want to know where he's at and what's his take on the U.S. Open coming up next week. Shinnecock, Dustin Johnson, and Tiger Woods. But first, before that, Ira, where have you been? Well, I was at uh, games three and four in Cleveland of the NBA Finals on Wednesday and Friday night, and then flew to uh, early Saturday morning and went to see the Belmont in New York. So I'm in New York City right now because I just stayed over an extra day in New York after watching the Belmont on Saturday. The Belmonts, I can't wait to talk about just the atmosphere. And, uh, you know, knowing a Triple Crown was on the line is something that is always going to make things more interesting. Ira, I don't know if you knew this, the ratings were down for this year's Belmont Stakes, which is just amazing to me, knowing that there's, I mean, maybe we're spoiled. We just saw one two years ago with American Pharaoh, but I I, I thought it was really weird. Ratings were down for this. Well, I think that I I saw that I was able to sit actually on the finish line um, on the third level. I could not believe the price I was able to get on a ticket. Uh, It was a tremendous ticket. It was one of the best tickets I've ever had for the Belmont. I've been there 12 times, and it's probably the best seat I ever had, and I probably paid the least amount I've ever paid for one. So even though they had a great attendance of 92,000, the excitement from the people coming in, the American Pharaoh breaking the string of 37 years of not having a Triple Crown winner certainly was the reason why this one wasn't as pumped up. But it was just... when he was coming down the home backstretch, uh, people were screaming just as loud as with American Pharaoh. So. And we're going to get into the Belmont a little bit more in a minute, but we've got about two minutes to kill uh, before we get Scott Deal, our professional golfer, on the line. Sean LeGregor is here with us as well. And, you know, we're in a group text together. Sean, you were loving the Belmont finale just as much as anybody, weren't you? Oh, it's unbelievable. You know, I, I just felt like, you know... Justify was kind of our horse, and that's what we were we were talking about, Mike. Um, you know, and I just felt the way he ended the Preakness, and and you know, it looked like he was getting tired, and and you know, a few horses that hadn't run uh, were going to be in the Belmont. I just felt like he wasn't going to win, um, and 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 just the the race uh, that he ran, um, unbelievable, great finish, held off. You know, I think there was there was two or three times where you know he kind of put him in, in in position to to keep his um you know uh. uh you know the space in between the second place horse, but I don't know. I, I just was rooting for him the whole way, so it just it just it meant a little bit more more in in past years, just only because we've been on this horse for a while now. Well, that's the thing, Ira, and, and this is why people listen to Ira on sports. Mikey of our own, our expert insider, owner of Big Brown, he gave us justify six weeks before the Kentucky. This horse wasn't even on the Kentucky Derby radar, Ira. Not at all. And next it didn't even have know, odds, I don't think. Mike. It didn't have odds. He was in the, it's called it All Others, odds. they call yeah, it. Yeah. You, you bet the field in that situation if you wanted to win on Justify. You would have made money betting the field because he didn't pay anything. But Ira, this is why people listen to Ira on sports. 
were getting to it before anybody else. And we, well, not we, but Mikey Averone picked a triple crown winner before the Florida Derby. It was amazing. Well, yeah, I mean, clearly he was... He has been on that horse for a long time, and uh, a lot of people like Boltoro, and Boltoro rushed uh, and raced uh, at Belmont that same day, but not in the Belmont Stakes. It raced in the, the, uh, the race before the Belmont Stakes. So a lot of the people that, you know, months ago that they thought were favorites for the Belmont, for the Triple Crown, did not do well in the Kentucky Derby and certainly petered out, whereas uh, Justify, Strong, I think and Justify, even though the odds were, uh, you know, certainly the heavy favorite to win the Belmont, but a lot of people didn't, including me, I was, I was doubting whether Justify was going to be too tired to run this long race. And I've been to the Belmont so many times and seen horses that have rushed, have run, uh, have won the Preakness and the Kentucky Derby, fail in the Belmont, including Big Brown. And, uh, and I felt this was going to happen again, but I would, Justify ran a great race, and uh, we got, uh, some people feel got some extra help from Restoring Hope and, uh, and was able to win the Triple Crown. We'll cover that uh, more in just a little bit because it impressed me as well. And I was one of the first people to say, this horse gave everything he possibly had in the Preakness. I didn't see it you know, coming just three weeks later at a mile and a half a distance. He's never run before. I didn't think he was going to have what it takes. He clearly, clearly did, and it was very impressive. Seven Eleven. This is Ira on Sports, ninety-five nine, the True Oldies Channel. Mike and Sean here as well. We're still expecting professional golfer Scott Deal any moment now, but he's kind of far away at the moment. We'll get into that in just a second. So why don't we get into our own uh, professional golf before we get Scott on the line? Hopefully, he can join us. Um, Ira, you must be excited. This is Tiger's first time playing in the U.S. Open in three years. What are you expecting? Well, I don't think people are expecting that much. I mean, if you look at the odds right now, he's at 20 to 1, and Dustin Johnson is 8 to 1, Rory's 14 to 1, Dustin Thomas is 14 to 1, Dustin Rose is 14 to 1, Fowler's 14 to 1, Day's 16 to 1. And you can see these odds. I mean, this is a type of tournament that there's a, this is not like the mat, it's not a limited field like the Masters. You have everybody has to qualify for it. There's golfers like Retief Goosem who has won the tournament who could not qualify for this. Adam Scott's won the tournament before, and he had to barely qualify just last week to get this into the field. So you have the very good golfers playing in this. I don't think a lot of people, I mean, Tiger's got 20 to 1, um, but he's healthy, and his last major was the U.S. Open. Yeah. So uh, to count Tiger out is certainly, uh, but it's going to be great to see him there. Uh, he seems comfortable. He's been practicing since Sunday. He landed in Sunday. Uh, he has his yacht privacy in Sag Harbor, it's, uh, <laughs> and he's it's only 10 minutes away from the course, and living in on, his, on his yacht, so he's going to have a comfortable surroundings, and he practiced with Jordan Spieth on Sunday, and everyone said he looked great on Sunday. So, uh, yeah, I'm ready for the U.S. Open. This is, you know, this is the Masters of the U.S. Open are the two premier golf tournaments, and we, can, we got it coming up this weekend. And I'll be there on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday to watch it. So uh, yeah, I, I was going to ask, and we'll get more into actually Shinnecock and all that. You know, we're all, uh, you know, former New Yorkers here, so we're uh, affiliated a little bit with the golf course. I've been there before. Um, Ira, let's talk for a second just about odds. And, you know, 20 to 1, do you think that's fair on Tiger Woods? Because I'd have to think that the betting public is going to be a little heavier on it. 
Um, I do, but I think that people, I mean, I think that a lot of people have been heard now that this is a really tough tournament. Tiger gets a little wild on his drives. If you're, you know, if you don't keep the ball in the fairway, you're going to, you're now looking at scoring, a, you know, a horrendous score. Um, his consistency is sometimes not there on, he's not been consistent for 18 holes. I mean, no golfer really is consistent all the time on 18 holes. So I think people are saying that Tiger's going to play well. He's going to keep the ball in the fairway a lot, but he's going to have some bad holes and those bad holes are going to be double bogeys and that's what's going to yeah. hurt him. In, in the U.S. Open. So I think that's what people were thinking, whereas Dustin Johnson looks like he's hitting the ball long and straight and keeping the ball in the fairway, and he's putting great. Uh, he just won the St. Jude Classic last weekend, and so people, that's why he's an 8-1 to one betting favorite, the heavy betting favorite in this, uh, because he's uh, ready to go. I, I can't wait to talk more about Dustin Johnson, because this past weekend was a spectacle. I mean, he was extraordinary. Locked in. Sean, you're... You've been on the Tigers' back bandwagon since Tiger came back. Yep. What kind of odds, maybe not you know, betting odds, what do you think Tiger is going to look like at Shinnecock? Well, I think Ira kind of hit the nail on the head in, in, in terms of the inconsistent play that Tiger's had. You know, we're seeing the old Tiger in, you know, in spurts. You know, we haven't seen it over the course of, a, uh, of an entire, um, uh, you know, weekend. But I think when you do look at the odds and kind of where he's placed, I think he's kind of earned that. But, I mean, it was a little surprising when, I, when you look at, you know, some guys that he's ahead of. You know, John Ram, even Mickelson, Patrick Reed. I mean, he's got better odds than Patrick Reed, somebody that's already gone out and, you know, uh, uh, won the Masters. Um, so kind of, you know, surprising when it comes to that sense when I did look at the odds. But when you look at the top, you know, it, it's the usual suspect, uh, suspects. It's it's Dustin Johnson, McElroy, Justin Thomas, um, you know, Fowler's up there, Rose Day, uh, Spieth too, ahead of, uh, of Woods. But I, I don't know. I, I think kind of be in the middle of that pack, you know, to be the leader of that, you know, the second group of guys, you know, the, the, the people that are ahead of them, they should be ahead of them. But that second group, I mean, there's a few guys you could intertwine, you know, in Tiger's place there, uh, you know, especially too. I thought Patrick Reed, I know he hasn't been playing as well as, you know, what led him up to the Masters, but but still, you know, a guy that's that's got a Masters under his belt this year uh, to have worse odds than t- uh, Tiger by, by a fair margin. Uh, I thought that was surprising when that came out. And they were in the final grouping last week, not yeah. the, one of the final grouping last yeah. weekend he did fall apart a little bit as did tiger but yeah no i think the odds are a little skewed and i love dustin johnson and we'll talk about him in just a minute i don't love him as a person i love him as a player <laughs> this guy he reminds me of tiger in a sense that he can dial it out yeah he just knows how to he knew going into sunday playing in the final group with a guy i've never heard of that he was going to be no no trouble, and he showed that it was going to be no trouble six holes in. Mm. That I'm Dustin Johnson, I should be the world's number one. I'm going to take this over. So, Ira, what do you think about Dustin Johnson's performance? He looked really good, and that just that pull away on on he played amazing on Friday, consistent on Saturday, and Sunday was lights out. Dustin Johnson, he, I think he deserves to be the the world number one. I. Well, he, he, he reclaimed it from Justin Thomas. I mean, there's, they're flipping. I mean, we got so used to Tiger being world number one for like seven straight years. And then now it's been sort of like a number of golfers have now been going back and forth of being number one. But in 2016, I was there at Oakmont when he won his first major at the U.S. Open. And that was a, that was a major event for him in terms of it was a major, but it was also, it's sort of like with Sergio winning the Masters. I think it's sort of valid. It was a validation that Justin Johnson needed, not just being a long driver, not just dating celebrity 
people, not just, you know, playing great and looking, you know, but actually putting together at Oakmont a very, very difficult course and just a tremendous tournament. And I think that's taken a lot of weight off him. And I think he, that gives him confidence. He's not like trying to win his first major now. He's already got that U.S. Open. He's already won at Oakmont. Um, so now he's like trying to add to his uh, trophy, trophy room. Yeah. And I, I think, I mean, the thing with, uh, with DJ is it's, he's, He's the best golfer on the course when he walks on if he wants to be. And he finally got to a place, I feel like, in the past two years where he kind of put that, you know, where, where Ira brings up dating the celebrities. I know he's, he's you know, married to Paulina Gretzky. Um, but but still, I mean, he was he was kind of like that rogue playboy of golf, you yes, know, kind of yeah. the bad boy. And he, and, he, and he relished that. He enjoyed that. And it got him in trouble. I mean, it did. We, we saw what happened. I mean, I believe there was a suspension and things that happened that, you know, I'm sure he looks back on and is, you know, not exactly proud of but he finally you know that humbled him and he said i'm a golfer first you know i'm not a celebrity i'm not this let me get back to basics and now when you take somebody like that who has all the talent in the world and you get give him that laser-like focus that it seems that he has finally found we're seeing that result being the world number one for as long as he was, regaining it, coming back. I mean, that eagle, it was ridiculous. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. But that's what this guy's capable of when he's locked in. And it seems like just over that past, you know, say in the past, what, two years, really, uh, where he's kind of just absolutely locked in and he wants to go down as one of the best to ever do it. And we're finally seeing, you know, that talent, you know, come in, you know, week in, week out. You know, Sean, you bring me to a good question. If you haven't seen it yet, you have to watch... He's got a five-stroke lead. He's 180 yards from the pin on 18. The, the, the tournament's his. Yeah. What does he do? Drops his, what would be an eagle shot, his third shot on a par five, to within three feet, and it just rolls right back into the cup. Walks off on an eagle to win by six <laughs> when he was going to walk away with it anyways. So, Ira, this is a good question for you because you watch more golf than anybody. Can you remember a bigger final shot than that eagle? And not necessarily, it, this wasn't to win. He was going to win anyways, but he walked off on an eagle like that. Ira, can you remember something like that to end a golf tournament? Maybe not to end. I, I, Tiger Woods has had those ones. He was at, yeah. at a Sony Open, and I think he and, and Ernie Els finished like Eagle Eagle. I think he finished like Eagle Birdie, and Els did Eagle. He finished Eagle Eagle or some crazy number, and, and Ernie was like one. But I, I remember I, now that it was, it was one of the Hawaiian tournaments at the start of the year one time, and, and both of them was like a duel at the end. And I, and I just know that Tiger Eagle to finish to win. But um, no, I mean, but that was. <laughs> but no, Justin Johnson has the game. I mean, that when I saw him, but I saw him at Honda Classic uh, a couple years ago, and he didn't even make the cut. He didn't care. He did not seem to be ready. But when he is playing well, he gets the, his driving. He he do, doesn't just drive long. He drives long and accurately, and that lets him have these easy putts. He's actually playing a different course than everybody else. And when you when you follow golfers and follow them, and he's just so far ahead of everybody else that's hitting. He just it's an easier golf course for him, but as long as he's putting, and a lot of times he would putt poorly, so even though he, the course was easier for him, he would still miss his putts, but now he's making these putts. Now he's a good putter, and I think that's the difference, and, I, and that's why people, that's why he said heavy betting favor to, to win the, the Open this week. You know, Ira, it's, he had the five top drives this weekend, <laughs> distance-wise. His, the number three was with a fairway wood. Yeah. He used a three wood off the tee, and was the, <laughs> the third long, he had a 338-yard three wood off the tee this week. But you're right, Ira. It's being able to combine 
you know, uh, who's the guy? Jamie Sedaleski, guy who drives the ball 450 yards, wins the Remax Long Drive Challenge every year. That's great. You get 100 yards on everybody. If you can't putt and you can't, yeah. <laughs> you have no short yeah. game, you can't hit out of the sand, that doesn't do much for you. Sean, what do you think? Bigger final shot than this eagle? Well, I mean, it's it's tough because it's like, you know, I want to see guys do it in the Masters. And, I mean, you could go back to Tiger. How many times has he made an incredible shot at the Masters or, you know, uh, uh, at the U.S. Open making a big putt? And we're talking about majors when there's pressure on Sunday. You, like you said, it's an eagle, so it's a closeout shot, you know, so that that's great. But he was going to win it anyway. There's absolutely zero pressure on him, and it's not a major, you know. Um, I know it's, you know, the round before a major comes, but, but still I can't put it up there with, you know, the greatest shots of all time when you're looking that stuff that you know Jack Nicholas did, and you know the, the you know masters of of our heyday. But um, unbelievable shot shows the talent that this guy has, and when he's locked in, I mean he's 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 the best in the world. Can I go to the exact opposite of this? And I know you guys will remember this: 1999 British Open Championship. John Vandervelde oh, has a three-shot lead. The great John Vandervelde <laughs> going on to 18, puts one in the water. Rolls his pants up, takes his shoes off, continues to just hit balls back into the water. Tink up. Off, well, this is in the water, trying to bank it off the bricks, couldn't get out of there, ends up losing his three-stroke lead, then losing in the playoff. That was one of the most interesting final rounds uh, you know, that, that I've seen in a long time. But this was interesting <laughs> from the exact opposite perspective, that he was so dialed in. Anybody watching that tournament like I did all day Sunday knew from the ninth hole, Nobody was taking that from Dustin Johnson. No. It, it, it was over. Um, Ira, I guess we're not going to get Scott. Do you want to let everybody know where Scott is and why he couldn't make it? Well, he's 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 playing. He's on the uh, Asian tour. Um, if he continues to do well in this, it's actually going to be a prelude for him to get onto the PGA tour next year, or the year after. So he's in China playing in a tournament. So it's like we're trying to do the timing and when his tees off and whatever. And he thought he would he would be able to, but they might have moved around time with the weather and how those things. So he's he might be actually competing in the tournament right now. So I'm waiting for a call and he's probably uh, you know putting for birdie at a hole in, <laughs> in China somewhere. So, but uh, it's a it's it, you know the golf the internet national nature of golf is just i mean there are to think that we're watching the US open right now but there are tournaments all around the world and great golfers and that's why golf is becoming uh, they put golf in the olympics because there's great golfers all across the world it's definitely a sport that that from from every continent it seems like uh amazing golfers are emerging so uh hopefully uh, scott's playing well today if he calls in later we'll put him on but i uh, I, I he told me that there was a chance that they would have to move up the round because of weather and then he'd be out playing at this time so we we anticipated it, and we would have loved to have him. I did want to talk to him about Shinnecock, though. And Ira, you know, you being you know originally from up north, you said you're going three days to the U.S. Open. Have you seen Shinnecock before? I've, I've never walked the course, but I've actually had I've, I've had lunch there and seen it. It's beautiful. It's right in the Hamptons. I mean, Beth Page is in Long Island, and that's where they played the U.S. Open a number of years ago in 2008, uh, 2009. Uh, uh, they played, and Lucas Glover won that tournament. And uh, but this is a different. This is right in the Hamptons. So Tiger has you know it's a doctor's boat in uh, Sag Harbor, and it's ten minutes away. Uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful course. Uh, and I can't wait to watch, to see it on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Seven twenty-five. It's Ira on Sports ninety-five-nine, the True Oldie Channel. Mike and Sean, we're here as well. Let's switch gears, guys. NBA, it's over. I, I think everybody <laughs> knew. Everybody knew the writing on the wall. And and after Game One, J.R. Smith's mishap, 
it, it was almost just like, you know, uh, cemented on the wall a- after that because uh, LeBron looked dejected. The team looked dejected. He still played his heart out for the rest of the series. With can't, a broken hand. Possibly a broken hand. We can't say the same about all the Warriors. We'll talk about that in a minute. But Ira, you were at game three, like we said. Tell us about what it was like in Cleveland and also uh, maybe some issues with getting tickets. Well, I just say it, the game three ticket was hard. It was hard, it was harder getting tickets in Cleveland than it was in Golden State, and the game four was the toughest ticket because every all the Golden State fans there might have been six seven thousand Golden State fans there in the lower bowl, and they all wanted to sit lower. So the ticket that I took was the one dead center in the upper deck, but first row. And I thought that in, in Cleveland, that's a really good seat because if you sit in the corners in Cleveland, it's, it's, you're blocked by the basket. And the corners in Golden State are good seats. The corners in Cleveland low aren't good because it's hard. The visibility is just, it's, it's weird how the arena sits. But uh, I thought I like my seat. I don't mind sitting up high, and I, you can get a good angle for everything. But um, Game Four was a was a was a harder ticket to get up. It was a very hard ticket to get down below because after, you could hear as the game was going on, and Golden State was winning and scoring points. The fans were screaming for Golden State, and when everybody left after they did the trophy presentation, there had to be I said four, five, six thousand fans of Golden State fans all downstairs. You almost felt like you're in Golden State for as, as loud as those fans were. Why do you think there were so many? Fa- I mean, if they can't. Pack out Oracle. Why do you think they had such a following in Cleveland? Well, I think they. I mean, I think there's Golden State fans that are just. There's people that like Curry. They like Durant. Yeah. That team. This is a national following team. This is the Cowboys. This is the Steelers. They have fans. That, it's not like people flew from Golden State. Even though a lot of people did, I think that their fans did. But you're, they they are become. Uh, I'm in New York right now. Walk around the street. Golden State hats everywhere. I mean, I went to the NBA store, Golden State uh, stuff everywhere. It, they are the national. Just when Jordan with the Bulls, everyone wearing Bulls stuff, it's the same thing now. So there's people and there's kids that are growing up, and that's what they like. They like Steph Curry. They like Durant. They like Kelly Thompson. Um, it's a team that people enjoy watching, and that their fans come out, and they wanted to see. And I think they anticipated that it was going to be that game four was going to be the final game. Yeah, it reminds me, Ira, of 10 years before I was born, 1972 and 73, when the Knicks one and everyone cared about them for about 10 minutes (laughs) so do you things you're right though it it is cyclical (laughs) everyone in the country had a seahawks jersey on two years ago oh my god everyone wanted to be in the legion of boom it it didn't matter where you were from it was just cool to follow along with them all right ira game three you were there what happened well two years ago cleveland uh uh cleveland won game three that's when they won the title that was the game that made they won they won that game and then lost game four and then they were able to come back from three one to win and last year they lost game three they were down three oh and then they forced a game five back in golden state but i mean i think people anticipated that that's why i mean i think the cavalier fans were optimistic saying i know we lost two there but we're coming back home they had already lost two to boston and came back home and won two games and they did what they had to do. First of all, the change made, we talked about it on the last show, Rodney Hood, suddenly, who was, you know, out of the, uh, you know, the, he was on the bench, at the end of the bench. And when they sit on the bench, he's so far, he could have been, there's people had better seats than he did. He was in the locker room almost at the end of that bench. Well, he played uh, 20 minutes in the game and was uh, 7-11 shooting 15 points and 6 rebounds. And that was key. But the other key for Golden State, and now we're seeing what makes Golden State, is Andre Iguodala, who's been hurt since the Houston series, missed the first two games. He then played and he just adds so much more. 
Steve Kerr said he's the grown-up in the room. He's the grown-up out there because he makes sure the ball keeps moving on offense, and he's also on defense as someone who can play LeBron. And he looks so healthy. He was, he wasn't bothering him, and he, it, the stats for him aren't as important. But as they, their goal was, we gotta stop LeBron. And they were throwing, remember we talked about Ken Kavon Looney playing LeBron the last first game, and that was terrible, and that's what he scored 51 points. But they threw Durant on him, they threw Draymond Green on him, they threw a Gadala on him, and even Curry played. I mean, LeBron was just getting player after player, and you saw in this game that LeBron he scored. LeBron had a had a fantastic game, but the fact is is that they were making him pick up his dribble. He wasn't as dominant, and uh, as the game went on, he he definitely uh, struggled in terms of uh, he didn't close out the game. They didn't win, but they jumped out to a 16-6 lead, and then at the end of the first half, the Cavs are up 58-49. So look, they're exactly where they want to be. But it seems like three of the four games, Golden State got a three at the last, like with like two seconds to go, mm-hmm. yeah. and Durant hit this three, and so instead of being down 58-49, it was 50. 52. But Golden State got killed on the boards, 28-16, and Steph Curry only had two points in the first half. I mean, there was one point in the game when Durant had 27 points and Curry had two, shooting one for 13, 0 for 9 uh, shooting. I mean, it was unbelievable. And also, and then, but the third quarter happened, so they're down six going into the third quarter. Immediately, Golden State ties it up. They go 61-61. And, uh, but, you know, they did pull away. I think Cleveland played really well. I mean, everyone's looking at the series like, oh, they got blown out, they got blown out. Game three was not a blowout because they hung in no, there yeah. and, uh, and played extremely well there. At the end of the game, with two minutes to go, Curry, they were leading. Cleveland was leading. Curry drove down, made it 98-97 on a layup. Then Love turned the ball over, and then... Curry, who had been horrendous the entire game, this game, one of the worst games he's ever played, yeah. drains a three to go out up 101-97. And I, that, this could be the end. But then the Cavs came down there. LeBron missed the layup. Then J.R. Smith missed the three. The ball's bumping around. Love threw it out to LeBron, and then he drains a three. And now it's 101-100, and you're saying, like, a minute to go, and you're like, wow, this is what they're going to do. And then Iguodala dunks the ball on a play. You know, they ran a great play. Then Tristan Thompson had a shot that just, like, rolled in and out, in and out. So it's 103-100. He missed it. Durant comes down with 40 seconds to go and just, as he did in Game 3 last year, drains this amazing, you know, this, this tremendous shot, uh, like a 40 foot, it seemed like 40 feet, 3, <laughs> 106-100. And that was the game right there. Yeah, so, that, I mean, Durant, he had one... Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, no, no. I mean, you were there, right? So, 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 game three, obviously, Steph. And in my opinion, game three was the reason why Steph. Even they kept saying, "Who are they going to give MVP to?" I mean, after game three, I don't think you could even given it to Steph because just an absolute stinker. Uh, you know, three of sixteen from the field, one of ten from three. Uh, you know, I know he hit that big three at the end of the game. You know, when when they needed him, but but still, I mean, that that's not enough from from a star player. But 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 Ira being there, right, and and seeing Kevin Durant, where people would always, oh, you know, his nickname's Cupcake because he. Took the easy way out. I mean, he was a stone cold killer, you know, in that game. I mean, it, it, it's one of the it, it, when you watched it, it was like, is this guy ever going to miss? You know, forty three points, shot sixty five from the field, sixty seven from three, six and nine. You know, uh, thirteen boards, seven assists. I mean, that's one of the best playoff you know performances almost ever. You know, what did you see? You know, kind of in Kevin Durant as almost a field general in that game, especially kind of picking up Steph Curry uh, because Curry had such a bad game. What did you see in Durant? Well, I liked it, and that's where on a great point, Sean, is that 
Andre Iguodala made a big difference. I think the, in the Houston series, when Curry and Thompson struggled, it seemed like Durant felt like he had to rush the offense, and that's when Curry said, be like Michael, trust yeah. your teammates. Well, he was trusting Curry, but Iguodala, if you watch his passes, he made sure Durant got the ball. He was running the offense. I, I just, you had to look at, you watch Andre Iguodala, how he plays, and he, he was an all-star in Philadelphia, and he came to Golden mm-hmm. State, and they're paying him $16 million a year. But unlike Jared Smith, who gets paid 16 this guy really earns the $16 million. But he, he made sure that you know he made he made sure that he was able to to uh to 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 get the ball in the right position and do it just an amazing performance but yeah. you're right Durant was just and, and every time Durant got George Hill every time Durant got a smaller play on him he went to him he he did he didn't look for the tough shots he did force his shots he got the shots he wanted and that's how he scored his his points his 40 42 points. Yeah, and I think that's what separates, you know, the the good players from the great players. When they see that mismatch, go out and create your own and go get it, you know, and and uh, and that's what Durant did all, all game. The one thing I'll, I'll bring up about Iguodala and the impact that he made, I, I thought Kerr did a great job by not, like, forcing it. You know, first game back, only give him about 21 minutes. He was plus fourteen in those twenty-one minutes. I mean wow. that. I mean that's that's, that's what goes to show kind of what that guy does. Where we talk about it's a glue guy. Now I, I was the guy that was saying, hey, listen. You know, like if if he doesn't play and Golden State loses this, there's no excuses. I mean, you have you know, arguably the second best player on the planet, Durant, the best shooter of all time, and Steph Curry. Clay Thompson's not a slouch, and the reigning defensive player. You can't say that. Oh, we're gonna struggle because Andre Iguodala at this stage in his career <laughs> is not on the floor. But it just goes to show that that was the difference that night. Durant went out, dropped 43, but his job was made easier just even from those 21 minutes that Iguodala, uh, uh, you know, uh, um, brought to the table. I mean, there was. One play where he had a steal, just the energy he brings to that team, um, you know, and that true veteran leadership, a guy that's been there for a long, long time and has obviously reached success with this team. But um, Iguodala, definitely a difference maker. But I mean, Durant, especially in the finals, I mean, like I said, those numbers 43, 13, and 7 with one block, one steal on, you know, plus 65% from the field. That's incredible. So, um, you know, I wanted your take on that, Ira, because you got to see it in person. So that that's really cool. We're going to have to take a quick hiatus from this. It's 735 Iron Sports, 95.9 True Oldies Channel. We do have our professional golf correspondent, Scott Deal, on the line. Scott, tell us where you are first and foremost, and did you just withdraw from a tournament to be on Iron Sports? Because that'd be fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't, but uh, fortunately, uh, I'm not really missing much right now. It, it is absolutely pouring here in China, uh, in Kunming, where I'm at, so... Uh, I, I do got a little time for you guys. Kind of nice. We do appreciate it, Scott. You've you've been doing this for a long time. I want to know what an insider thinks about what makes an open course, especially a course like Shinnecock, different than some other courses. So, I mean, Shinnecock. You know, we got Shinnecock got a lot of firsts uh, being built so long ago. Uh, first clubhouse. Uh, in America, one of the uh, original five courses uh, that helped started the USGA. Um, and Shinnecock is such a great, big golf course. Uh, it, it's one of the places that, you know, it, it never lets you, um, it, let's see, it's such a great design that it never really lets anyone get comfortable. Uh, you've got the front nine that's all kind of down in the lowlands. Uh, and then as soon as you get to the ninth hole, you turn around and you're coming up the hill. Oh, yeah. And 10, 10 through 14 is just so difficult. Uh, but it's just one of those golf courses. There's, there's only only number nine and number 10 are the only two holes that go in the same direction. 
uh, back-to-back. So you've got no flat lies. The wind's always in a different direction. It's just um, it's such a good test of every single aspect of the game that uh, it's going to be so fun to watch. And, and I, we're really going to see the best, most well-rounded golfer, I think, is going to come out on top. Um, if, if the golf course is playing firm and fast like it should now that they've gotten it back uh, back to fescue from the uh, horror of 2004, <laughs> yeah. uh, where the, the golf course just completely got out of control with the ryegrass they tried to use. and, and uh, But I, I think it's going to play firm and fast, and I really think it's going to give advantage to – uh, to somebody like DJ who can hit it long and straight. Yeah. Um, and we've seen how good DJ's been playing, so I think he has the advantage anyways. Ira, you have any questions for Scotty? Um, I, I, Scott, I, I guess the question, I would, the, main, the main question would be, in terms of the, the rough, everyone talks about rough and, you know, that yeah. is difficult. If you make a mistake in the U.S. Open, the penalty is so great. You can, you can be playing the Honda Classic and make mistakes. You might hit water. But, I mean, I walk around the rough at the Honda. It's tough. It's a tough course, but you can still get out of it. Talk about what the rough is at the U.S. Open courses and why it makes it so much difficult and why it's just that you just keep hearing you've got to keep it in the fairways. If you don't stay in the fairways, you're doomed. Yeah, so, so not only is the rough, is the rough longer, but they, they just grow so much thicker. Um, what, what basically, you know, last year, Scott, we're kind of losing you here. So I think what we're really going to see out there is even more difficult uh, setup uh, with the rough. They, it's so much thicker that when your club head goes through it, and if you've got, say you've got, you know, I, I guess even at 170 yards for somebody like Brooks or DJ, it's still only a nine iron. But the rough is so thick that then trying to get that club head to come through with any amount of speed, it's just not going to happen. It's just going to stop. It'll only hit it, you know, you're only going to be able to the full swing to maybe get advance the ball 130 yards at that. Uh, and that's taking as big of a risk as you possibly can. The ball is just going to sit, especially with the grass, the ball is going to sit down a bit more and and just grasp the club head so much that you, you've really got no chance. I mean, but to try to advance it into the fairway towards the green and, and get yourself some sort of angle to the flag stick. And I think through... For guys that when they do find themselves in the rough, that's going to be one of the, the real tests is being able to uh, being able to find an angle that allows you to possibly chip it up to the hole and get up and down for par and not make and at least not make six or seven on par four. Scott, uh, Scott, one one last question that you you liked you like DJ. What other golfer? What, who, give me one or two other golfers oh. you think that might this course might fit, like me, might work for them. I, I'm sorry, I cut out there. Could you repeat that one? Um, what other besides D, Dustin Johnson? Which other golfers do you think does this course suit up for their style of game? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so I've got I got a little list here for us. Um, I think Jimmy Walker. Has got a chance this week. Uh, he's been playing really well the last the last month. Um, 
and, and it keeps his game. He, he hits it pretty long, he hits it pretty straight, and he's a really good putter. Uh, Brooks Kepka, again, defending. Wellington Kansas, native. There he is. Uh, definitely definitely going to be in the mix. Um, Jason Day, having a, you know one of the best years ever. Uh, he's, he's always in the mix. Uh, another guy that's long, straight, can hit it a mile high. Um, I think our, our rookie and, and uh, recent winner, Aaron Wise, uh, also a, a guy I, I practice with quite a bit out in Las Vegas. Um, the kid can absolutely rip it. He, you know, he's a, you'll see him out there with DJ 330, 340, 350 all day long. Uh, and he's a fantastic putter and ball striker. I think he's got a great shot, especially coming off a recent win and, and some good finishes. Um, and then, and then you got, you know, Justin Thomas and Ricky Fowler, uh, who, Justin Thomas, I don't think he's, I don't think he's ever played that, to be honest. If we look at the <laughs> scores point. recently, I, I think he's only got a couple rounds, but he shot over 70, over 73 in the last two months. Um, and then I've, I've got a, I've got a dark horse for us. Um, young kid, he qualified through sectional. Uh, he, he's top one, two, I think he's top 150 in the world now, but he doesn't have status on this, uh, any big tour. He, he just earned his PGA Tour Canada card. And Lucas Herbert, uh, I've got a, I've got an eerie feeling he, he could sneak in there. He's, uh, he's a young guy. He absolutely bombs it, and his short game is phenomenal. Um, and I, I got a feeling he might have a special week. Scott, I want to thank you so much for Scotty. Yeah, I want to thank you so much for popping by Ira on Sports. Good luck in China, man, and we'll be following up with you next week. I hope you get a win. All right, sounds good, guys. Thanks for having me. Have a great day. Seven forty-two. Ira on Sports, ninety-five nine True Oldies Channel. Mike and Sean, we're here as well. I can only imagine. I mean, I have Sprint, so as soon as I leave like the Palm Beach area, <laughs> my phone just is completely gone. I don't know what service he has, but he's in China, and he did, did the best he could there. Um, Ira, let's let's hop back into the NBA. Okay, so we're through Game Three. Game Four was uh, not what I wanted in the finale, maybe of of an NBA season. Tell us about the atmosphere, though, in Cleveland. Well, the atmosphere was, I think, as I said, it seemed like more Golden State fans that were excited. I think the, the Cleveland fans were scared. And yeah. as someone who was at the, uh, the last shot Michael Jordan game, I've been to so many dramatic, you know, I was at the, in Game 7 in Golden State against Cleveland two years ago when Iguodala, I mean, gets blocked by LeBron and Kyrie hits the shot. This game ended, and the series and the season ended with Jordan Bell dribbling the ball out, and uh, I think everyone on the floor was, uh, you know, players that haven't played in like three months for uh, Cleveland were after him because uh, LeBron had checked out of the game with two minutes to go. So the ending, certainly it's not how you want to end the season on, uh, with every reserve you possibly have just dribbling the ball. And I think the last four or five minutes of the game was one of the worst uh, times of basketball of the season yeah. for anywhere because everyone seemed to be missing shots and everyone. So that it was that was it was a it was a very bad game. It, I felt like you know it was like the Warriors started they did what they had to do. They started out on a 13-2 run and, and even the Cavs came back at nine nine nothing. But then there were two fouls. I think the refs were trying to make Cleveland you know stay in the game. They gave two fouls <laughs> to Thompson and he he went out. But um, Iguodala was phenomenal. He had three threes in the first half. Draymond Green and Curry all hit threes. 
It was uh, 34-25 at the end of the first quarter. Um, it was uh, 58-52 at the end of the half. And again, Curry hits that three. It's 58-52, and Curry hits a three from like oh, 50 feet Ridiculous. away to make it up 61-52. And then, and, and then at halftime, like I, I was texting my friends, oh, I think, I think the Cavaliers can come back. And everyone I was texting, like, are you crazy? Are you insane? <laughs> and it just like, it just, it, you know, then they were down 21 in the third, and LeBron was taken out with a minute to 53 to go. Um, Durant, you know, Durant was almost, as people were saying, trying to let Curry win the title, the uh, MVP. He had 20 points, 0 for 3 shooting, 12 rebounds, 10 assists. Curry had his best game, 12 for 27, 7, 15 from threes, 37 points. Klay Thompson only scored 10 points a game. Iguodala was, again, phenomenal, 23 minutes, 11. It's not the point so much, it's just how he plays. And they were able to use their bench better. Jordan Bell has emerged in the last couple of games, a, a rookie from Oregon, and he is someone who, if the Warriors are going to keep this dynasty going, they need Bell to become Draymond Green. They yeah. need this guy to step up. And he looked like he was ready for the moment. He played great. And Livingston uh, was tremendous through the whole series. He, he had a nice game, too. But uh, LeBron, 7 for 13. This is what's hurting LeBron. Is he had 13 shots. 13 in a clinching, 7 for 13, 0 for 1 from threes. He had six turnovers. George Hill was 1 for 7, the other guard, mm-hmm. guard for uh, the Cavaliers. J.R. Smith was 3 for 8 for 10 points. Love at 13. They only shot 34% for the game. And they had been out-rebounding the Warriors every Crushing single them. game. Yeah. Even the Warriors were up 3-0. But still in that game, the Warriors were 50, 56, 56 on rebounds. The Warriors had, had 13 blocks. It was just a terrible end game, final game, um, you know, to, to, a, to a series that I still think had two close, very close games. Game one was everyone's going to talk about forever, and I thought game yeah. three was a very close game, but the game four was no one's going to remember that game. Yeah, I, I think, Ira, when you look at that game too, the biggest thing is, is it's always funny when they slam LeBron. Oh, he gave up. I mean, the guy was 23, 7, and 8, you know. But the one thing that I saw when I went back and I looked at the box score, I was like, oh, oh, okay, maybe he kind of did give up. One three-pointer attempt. I mean, for, for a guy that's playing for his life, playing for his legacy in Cleveland, maybe his last game there, you know, to only attempt one three-pointer, especially, too, when you're getting blown out. Um, yeah, you know, especially I think he wa- to- I think this was his statement. No, it could have been. I mean, you know, it's because it's, it's – it's going to be hard for him to stay after, especially this series. You know, the for for them to give up and and the think about this. I mean, to get swept, and think about that. You know, they I think they went seven games when when Kyrie got hurt in game one, and they went seven games. Then the next season, Kyrie comes back, they win. Then they lose, they trade him, and now it's getting swept. And when you think about. The parts now, essentially for Kyrie Irving, they got Jordan Clarkson, you know, uh, and 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 Larry Nance Jr. I mean, like that's the <laughs> Kyrie trade at this point, and like you know, a pick that they don't even care about because it's not in the top three. So it's like I, I just when you look at this series and you look at that game, it was just kind of like finally it's over. You know, that's kind of what I his relief. That, that he's just like, oh my god, like I'm just so done with Cleveland. You know, like Cleveland. So I, I don't know. I just. I just took a lot out of that game, especially when I looked at that. And that was kind of the one stat where I was kind of defending him. Like, no, I didn't give up, you know. But he's been getting beaten down, especially how game one went. Um, and then, you know, to, to even lose the, the calls against him. I mean, to lose game two in the fashion that they did. Uh, game three that they were close, to, you know, to win it at home and, and possibly play to, to tie it in, in, in game four. Um, and, 
and in my opinion, should have been up by by game four because game one they should have won. In game game three, I thought there was times where they could have you know uh, pulled away, but just to a point now where you just saw it. I mean, he was done. He he he's exhausted. He gave that team, yeah. that city, <clears throat> everything he had, and I just feel like the organization, his teammates, and the and, and his coach, you know, just let him down, and, and that was kind of his. I'm, I'm done here. So. Ne- next week on Iron Sports, we got a lot to talk about as far as LeBron James versus Michael Jordan's legacies. Also, LeBron's next landing place, because I have a feeling we're going to have a great conversation on this, because I think it's all over the place. Before we uh, switch out of basketball, though, Ira, some people think that Steph Curry should have been the MVP of this series. Some people didn't like the way Durant kind of carried over the malaise from the Houston series into this. Ira, who would you have given the MVP to? I have something funny that I haven't seen. You know, when you go to these games, you get a sense of things that, that don't get reported. So I have not seen this anywhere. But when they gave Durant the trophy, and it was weird, and it's hard to tell why it doesn't, but people booed. And I don't know if they, it was Cleveland fans booing or some Golden State fans were booing because at that point, there were the stands who were like, maybe Curry might have won it. Like, there was no, it was one of those trophies where people thought, mm, it could have gone either way, even though I thought Durant deserved to win. Yeah. But there were a lot of boos. And I don't know if they were booing it. Most of the, cap, it was at, most of the Cavaliers had fans had left the arena, so it might have not been Cavalier fans cheering, but clearly the Golden State fans were. I mean, a lot of Golden State fans, you know, they love Curry, they wanted Curry to be getting it. I mean, I thought Curry's performance in Game 3 disqualified. It was terrible. I mean, he shot only 40% from the series. They both averaged uh, Durant 29 points, Curry 27.5, but Durant shot 52%, Curry 40%. Um, they both shot the same from threes, but, you know, Durant, it just seemed that Game 3 performance when yeah, that was the key game. It was 2-0, Durant won the game. Uh, I can't I just felt like that. I know he had a bad game one, but Curry didn't have that great a game one either. But in the end, I thought Durant deserved it. But it was funny that the people were booing, and I, it was it could have been a mix of some Golden State fans and some Cleveland fans booing that decision. Yeah, I just I just think the moments that KD stepped up compared to the moments that Curry stepped up, I just think superseded that. And like yeah. I said, I, I think Curry's game three performance was so bad. One of ten, mm-hmm. you know, three of eighteen or sixteen from the field. I In mean, a game where LeBron's bowling out, horrible. I mean, game three was so bad for Steph Curry. Kevin Durant didn't have an absolute stinker like that. You know, you go back, you look he was at game, bad one. In game one. Well, you look at game he one. He looked lazy. He in game still one. scored twenty points though. You know, yeah, like yeah, no. and and didn't hit three field goals. You know, so so I just feel like it was game three was so bad that they had to give it to uh, to KD and especially the, the the fashion in which you know he really stepped up in that game three and then even in game four like I said you know where you, you felt like he was kind of just he wanted Curry to win it um, you know but he still played I mean he still played in a phenomenal game uh, I think this year compared to years previous really stepped up on the defensive end um, you know for sure uh, wanting to lock up against LeBron and, and, and kind of take that matchup sometimes so um, I, I think you couldn't go wrong either way but I just think game three for Curry just kind of got him out sometimes the there's situations where people are the MVPs of the postseason by default yeah Eli Manning has won the Super Bowl MVP twice. <laughs> I'm a Giants fan. I'm not taking anything away from him. The defense won uh, both yeah. of those games yeah. for us. But you can't give it to and you know, you can't give it to eleven guys plus rotating defensive ends and linebackers. You gotta pick somebody. He played good enough. He's your MVP. So I, I get where that's coming from. I'm not saying I would have given it to Curry over Durant, but I think there's a, a case to be made, regardless, that team did everything they needed to beat the other team, and that's why they won another championship. 752. Mike, after, after, game, after, after, game, after game one, there was talk 
that uh, LeBron James should be one, you know, win the MVP after 51 points. He should be the MVP in a losing cause. Certainly when you get swept and certainly after his game four performance, yeah. <laughs> that discussion is non-existent. But I do, before we leave NBA, I just want to jump on a couple of things that I really liked in this series. Javal McGee. He didn't play the Houston series hardly at all. He was 16 for 20, eight points a game. I just like, that's what, this is what I like about Kerr, and I like about these great basketball coaches. They're able to look at their roster, look at their players, and put them in positions to be successful. And I feel like it took so long for Tyrone Lue to understand. Oh, it's like, God. we are not getting scoring. We're not getting. Rodney Hood, 15 points in, in game three. That Rodney Hood in game one, that might have been the difference. They might have won that game. And if, if Rodney Hood was playing in the Boston series, that might have made a difference. He was wasn't utilizing the players in the right position, whereas I thought Kerr using, you know, through the year that this team's been together, but using, you know, realizing that Looney was not fitted for the game, doesn't play Looney, and he puts, you know, he played Bell instead, and Iguodala comes back, and Livingston plays great. The thing that killed the Cavs in the series, George Hill shot 32%, J.R. Smith shot 32%, Kyle Korver, I'm going to give you a stat, and I couldn't believe it, and I looked, checked two websites because I couldn't believe it was (laughs) Kyle Korver, who's this great shooter, was 1 for 16 for the series, 1 for 16. Wow. And one for 11 from threes. So they, the Cavs, if you look at the stats, shot only 41%. The Warriors, 51%. And the Cavs, it's, you know, we talk about rebounding all the time. The Cavs had a 47 to 40 average rebounding margin. So the Cavs were out-rebounding the Warriors. But that still didn't translate when you can't shoot the ball. And that's why the loon needed to get shooting, needed to create shots, needed to do something. And, uh, but uh, that was... It was just it was just little things, but I love I love the Warriors because I do like McGee. I love Livingstone. I love Iguodala. I love how Bell played. I felt like Kerr you started to understand, and, 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 he, and he made the adjustments during Absolutely. the game. Yeah. He made the adjustments in the third quarters, and Lou just did not make those. And that's why Kerr's you know a three time champion coach. Yeah, no, and I, and I totally agree with you, Ira. There, and honestly, it's it's to a point where I I don't see how they could keep Lou whether LeBron stays or goes. And it's it's to a point where it was it was such embarrassing fashion that how like he finally plays Hood in the playoffs and we see how well he played, right? You know, how how little time Nance got in certain series, then played a lot in this series and got some meaningful minutes and the energy that it brought. And it just seemed too little too late. To even the point where we talk about, you know, we could blame George Hill for the missed free throw in game one. We could blame J.R. Smith. How about not calling the timeout? I mean like so many things come down to the coach that when and if he, he gets fired, because I don't, I don't think he'll leave on his own will, but when he gets fired from Cleveland, I can't see another NBA franchise looking towards this guy no. to letting him lead the way. It's like you, you stole years from LeBron James because you were such a <laughs> bad coach. You can't blame Tyrone Lue on I'm that. I'm not blaming that's, him for that's, everything. That's the, that's the, it's the team around him. Uh, of course. But I'm saying, like, we're, we're, we're talking about Steve Kerr making adjustments, n- having guys that don't play, and then saying, hey, I mean, look how well JaVel McGee played just one-on-one against LeBron and, and, and stopped him a few times. Having that to call, okay, this guy hasn't played at all against the Rockets, come in and guard one-on-one LeBron James. Really? <laughs> Ira, do you have a really? comment? You want to move on? <laughs> I mean, come on. It's, it's amazing. Ira, you have a comment? You want to slide into Belmont? <laughs> we can slide into Belmont. Yeah, Sean's getting really aggressive here. I'm turn just his saying. <laughs> I mean, Syra and Lou has just proved to be horrible. He's not getting a job. 755, Ira on Sports 95.9, True Oldies Channel. Mike, Sean here as well. Ira is in New York at the moment, and he was at the Belmont. Tell us about what it was like being there on the precipice of a Triple Crown. The same thing like American Pharaoh. It was, I think, what the race, just to bring from the race, Justify broke out so fast. 
and um, and just was running out there. And you're like, is he going to run out of gas? Because it was just took the lead. You, usually you, you'd expect it to run a slower race. And it just led wire to wire. And it's not really a race that people besides Secretariat like lead wire to wire. Now there's been ton of controversy about this horse, and we had Michael Iverone talk about it last week about uh, restoring hope, which is also trained by Baffert, and it sort of like ran to justify to the side of it, Absolutely. and it was blocking Noble Indy at the beginning, and then fell down and blocked Bazazzo. So I keep mispronouncing that. Bravazo. But anyway, so it was like it was it was almost like a bodyguard for Justify, and so that was there was some and then restoring hope finished like next to last. So there's been a lot of controversy saying the jockey, you know, it was used yeah. Baffert used that horse to block and help Justify, and Noble Indy's uh, owner was her, was very mad at its uh, jockey for not trying to get the lead. So there's been a lot of controversy about that race, but Justify, I mean, even when it went to the home stretch and Gronkowski was coming at it, but it was. It looked like it, it, I, Justify looked like it's the same thing with American Pharaoh. It looked like it was going to win the race. It was almost the exact same type of race. When American Pharaoh was rushing down, you're like, American Pharaoh is winning the Triple Crown. Justify is going to win the Triple Crown. The, the fans got loud. There's 95,000. And for the, like 30 seconds, that 30 seconds does seem, the race is only two and a half minutes long, but that last 30 seconds seemed like an hour of people screaming and screaming and it screaming, and it got so loud. So... And, and listen, I want to talk about the Restoring Hope as a blocker. I mean, they saw – I saw it somewhere where they were talking about stud fees, you know, could reach a record high of $75 He's already million, worth $75 million. $75 million. If he used him as a blocker at that point, who cares? I mean, $75 million, so I don't blame him. It's part now, of the strategy. That's what I mean. Why not? Why not do that for that type of money? I don't, I don't blame these guys. Whether it's ethical or not, and we could talk about it, and, and owners could be upset, guess what? Have a better horse. There's only four to five big-name trainers. $75 million. And in the Kentucky Derby, you're going to get 20 horses running. Yeah. So, of course, they're all playing their strategies. I've got this front-runner. I need to tire out this other trainer's front-runner. Yeah. Uh, they're using this as a strategy all the time. So, you know, it only comes up when something like this happens. It's a oh, triple crown. That was always the plan yeah. with, with restoring hope. And, and that was dead money in the pool. Um, Justify's going to run again. And this is one of my favorite <sighs> things. He's owned by a group of people. I'll have another, you may remember, from 2012, won the Kentucky Derby, won the Preakness. They sold him to Japan and didn't let him run in the Belmont. Because <laughs> losing the Belmont could only hurt what they were going to get for him. This team... I love it. They're going to let him run again. Do you guys want to speculate on where he might go? Ira, what, what you think? I mean, I know where I think we'll see him. What do you think? Well, the funny thing about Justin, there's a couple things about Justify. They have so many owners that at the oh, winner's circle, I was sitting right above the winner's circle, and they couldn't even have room for the horse. There were so <laughs> many people in the winner's horse that they kept pushing people out. I've never seen so many people in that winner's circle, like I'm sure it's whatever, but it was like almost like the entire 94,000 people were standing in the winner's circle, and there's no room for Justify to get in there to, <laughs> like, to, get, the, to get the celebration. And also, it's interesting that uh, Chris Mara, who's a part owner of the owner of the Giants, yes. uh, owns, owns Justify and Green. Kronkowski uh, is part owner by Rob Kronkowski, the tight end for the Patriots, and the only you know teams that beat the Patriots the Super Bowl before the Eagles Ooh. were the were the Giants. <laughs> so you had that sort of mix where the Giants again beat the Patriots in a big in a big thing. But I, I, you would think that he's going to run in the Breeders' Cup. Um, they all, some he might run in Saratoga. Everybody loses when they run the Saratoga, but that could be one of the other races that they run. Um, I hope I hope Justify keeps running. I mean, it would be great if Justify you know they they never run another year anymore. Yeah. But I hope. Hopefully, at least he runs a couple well, the, more races. California Chrome is still running at five. So you, not that they'll do that with Justify. Yeah, no. But it's a possibility. Yeah, and I, and I think 
it's a possibility and they're saying it. I just, in terms of the, the, the monetary value that this horse is, right? So now I'm reading another thing, okay? 100 million he's at, right? So to insure that horse, right? Because all you're doing is risking injury at this point that could derail his future. In, injury won't sire. affect it though. But, it, but, but I'm it, just the saying, only thing I've, that could I've affect it is him losing, finishing last to a bunch of bums. Would or affect injury severely breaking a leg where now they have to put the horse down. I mean, you're, you're, right, talking, okay, massive, injury, you're yeah. talking massive amounts of money that are on the table. Why? Tell me what benefit you're going to – if he because wins another people, horse, he's going to go to 105 these million? These guys love the sport. That's why they want to do it. They said, we want America to see Justify run again. And I can't wait to see Justify go out there and beat the likes of every good three-year-old from last year. Yeah. And beat the likes of every three-year-old from this year. And all the up-and-coming two-year-olds. I think it's amazing. I, I think you're right, too. He's going to run a, a warm-up five weeks before the Breeders' Cup. And we're going to see him go in and win the Breeders' Cup. Because this horse, Justify, proved to me it's the best horse I've ever seen. Better than American also, you know, The one thing about Justify, one other thing about Justify, it's only, only two of the horses have won uh, Seattle Slough and Justify are, are undefeated. Undefeated. Yep. was undefeated. So just, Justify is undefeated. And Baffert, I want to give credit to Baffert, 14 Triple Crown races. He's now, <laughs> he's taken Silver Charm, Real Quiet, and War Emblem, who won the Preakness and the Kentucky Derby. Uh, and then they weren't able to win the Belmont. But now he's had two Triple Crown winners. There was, a, there was a trainer in the 30s that had two Triple Crown winners. But, I mean, if we're talking about Bill Belichick's and Nick Saban's and all these great coaches and Phil Jackson's, I mean, Bob Baffert is the top uh. of the top yeah. so of, of coaches and trainers. You can't go back to the 30s because they were getting a bag of potatoes and Yankees tickets as incentives to, to throw <laughs> to throw matches. Um, we got to move on, guys. 802, Iron Sports, 95.9 True Oldies Channel. Mike and Sean are here as well. We're going over on this show. Shocker. Um, NHL, Stanley Cup, it's in the books. Congratulations to Alexander Ovechkin, everybody in Washington, and really a great series from the Vegas Kings, our Vegas Knights. Sean, what's your impact on Ovechkin's legacy. He oh. was a Hall of Famer to me anyways. What just changed for you? No, I, I think we talked about it like last week, you know, and you go back and you look at all the greats in any sport, right? You know, Marinos of the world. Um, uh, uh, you can go to um, even, you know, I, I, I don't know. I just, when we're talking about those teams, let's go to basketball, right? Carl Malone's, the John Stockton, Charles Barkley's, all these guys, and they've never won, right? You know, to, to do it and do it the way that Ovi did it, and we can go back to NBA, not Kevin Durant, who had to leave his team. This guy's been the heart and soul of that organization since he stepped foot in Washington and finally brings home a championship, not only to a, a, a you know a, a, a hockey team that's ever won one, a, a, a city that has been horrible for years. I mean, what was the last one that they won? I want to go back to the, to the Redskins back yeah, in the early 90s, 91, 91 yeah. I believe. Yeah. You know, so to go that where to go that long in a city that loves their sports. I mean, that's not a that's not a city that's, you know, kind of like, you know, Florida fans get a bad, you know, you know, knock on them in Miami, they can't fill a stadium. I mean, they're sold out all the time. I mean, they're diehard fans. They know their stuff. So for Ovi to do it the way that he did, stay here there his entire career, already a, a, a Hall of Famer, one of the best ever. He solidified it and watched him hoist that cup, the excitement the whole yeah. time. I mean, he was just shaking and screaming. I mean, it just it was such a good feeling. Especially for a guy that's come such a long way. You know, we talk about we talked about Justin Dustin Johnson earlier, a guy that was kinda like the bad boy, relished in that, but couldn't get over the hump, you know, got in his own way. Finally, in the past few years, he's figured it out. Hopefully we can see this uh, uh, dominance continue uh, for OV uh, moving forward. Uh, Ira, is there any athletes in history you can think of that kind of compare to what Ovechkin's done here, sticking it out and finally winning? 
Well, it, this is, I, you know, as, as I've, I've looked, it was, it's very hard. I've been spending about two days trying to come up with someone, and it's difficult. I mean, Ovechkin is, he was rookie of the year 2005. He was the leading goal scorer seven times in the league, four straight times. He's been a three-time All-Star. He's been seven-time first-team All-Star, first-team All-Star, three-time MVP, seven-time first-team All-Star, four-team second-team star. He's won three world champions from Russia. He's the 19th best all-time goal scorer, and by the time he finished, he's only 30-some years, 33 years old. He could probably be second to Gretzky in scores. Um, and he's had this like snake big record in 2010, 16, and 17. They had the best record in the league, but in 16 and 17, they lost in the second round to the Penguins 4-2 and 4-3. They've lost to the Rangers uh, three times in 4-3 series. They've lost, you know, he's lost so many game sevens. And it's just, and you see these players on the sports that do bounce around, like A-Rod finally got his title when he you know, went from two different teams and then he went to the Yankees and won his title. But to stay at one place, and to stay there and say, and not chase it. Roy Bork for Boston had to leave and go to another uh, team to win his title. But to stay somewhere and not just stay there as a hanger on it, but be the star player, be the captain, score all the big goals. I only could think Elway. Elway's the only one that I felt that was in his 14th year. He stayed in Denver, had, had Super Bowl losses, and was able then to win the title. Uh, Manning was in his ninth year when he won his title, but I, I can't, I'm sure, I wish one of our callers would call in and let me know next week another person, but I think Elway is the best example of a player that had been there with their team and been the star of the team that just won it. And when, you know, he won the, the MVP of the Stanley Cup Finals. So uh, I would say Elway's the only guy. Ira, you just inspired me. <laughs> I found another one. Hockey as well. You'll know the name, Steve Eiserman. Yeah. Now the general manager of um, of Tampa Bay. Mm-hmm. He started in 1986 with the Red Wings. They were not a very good team then. Finally, 1997, he gets a little bit of help. Uh, Sergey Fedorov might ring a bell. Shanahan. Yeah, Brendan Shanahan. He won in 97 and 98, almost the same time Elway was doing this. So that's an interesting comparison. Once you start bringing up the points, but you're right, this is not a normal thing in sports for someone to just... Be a superstar and stick it out for years on a team that Ovechkin's issue was kind of Peyton Manning's issue. I'm amazing, but I've got somebody who's just slightly better than me in the same division, yeah, in the same conference. And he had to face Sidney Crosby every year. The Rangers had his number every year. It didn't matter. Better, yeah. No matter what the Capitals did, Ovechkin couldn't get over the hump. Before we move on from hockey, a lot of people uh-huh. don't know this. He changed his game significantly. This guy came into the league with the, quote, dangler tag. He came in as somebody who's going to wait for goals. And he would score 50-plus goals a season. Once his speed started to decline, he realized, if I want to stay relevant and stay great in this league, i got to hit people. i got to take people off the play. I've got to set my teammates up for goals rather than be waiting for goals to come to me. And that's what's always impressive to me. I absolutely uh, love that um, as we talk about, you know, little things that Ovechkin's done throughout his career to become the pro that he is. Sean, I think we might have lost Ira. Chances the Knights go back to the Cup. Oh, I mean, I, I don't know. I think I mean, it's good. I, well, I think it's good. I mean, I, I think the team is, is built well. I think they're, um, you know, we, we talked about four lines deep. I mean, they could they could skate you right off the ice. Uh, you know, Flurry is a proven commodity. Uh, didn't do it, you know, in, in, in the finals. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, I, I think – I think hockey's just at a place where, you know, you're always going to have those top teams where you could kind of pencil them in and say, okay, you know, these three top teams have a chance. But, you know, we've seen 
teams like the Blackhawks, where it's like on paper every single year, and it's like one year they win the cup, next year they don't make the playoffs, next year they win a cup. You know, so I think hockey is very unpredictable. I don't think anybody thought Vegas would be there in the first place. No. So I would like to see, you know, um, even even look at the Caps. I mean, the Penguins are going to be back. Tampa Bay is going to be back. I mean, there's a lot of good teams um, that that are that are going to be in this. So we'll we'll see. Teams will be changing. I would. Right now, for me, Vegas is the odds-on favorite to go back to the Cup. Winnipeg is the team that's more likely to me to take a step back. And the rest of the Western Conference is just getting older and slower. The Eastern Conference is where hockey's at. And I think, you know, you mentioned Chicago. They're proving the Pittsburgh theory now. We've got two of the top ten guys in the league. Our third and fourth lines are awful. And we can't pay these guys $12 million a year, which is a lot in hockey, and still afford to round out the bottom of a team. Vegas has a formula. So if Connor McDavid and the um, Oilers don't take a step, I don't see who's going to stop these guys from getting back there next year. 809 Iron Sports 95.9 True Oldies Channel. Ira's back with us. And Ira, you love tennis. And Rafi Nadal, this guy is just amazing. Tell us about his performance. So he played, he won his 11th French Open title, 17th Grand Slam title. He's 32 years old. Uh, he's one of the youngest people to win the French Open, and it's on clay. And he's now one of the oldest people to win the French Open. So he goes from winning the longest, and he's won the most amount of French Open. So he, it's just tremendous. And he played a Dominic theme from Austria who had a very good tournament. He's one of these new young guns that are supposed to play. So it's 4-4 in the first set. And Theme is playing great. He looks fantastic and battling the doll. And then a ball gets hit on a line. It, 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 and Theme stops playing, saying it's out. The umpire comes down and says it's in. They don't use the computers. They don't use the line things in the French Open. And so they called it for the doll. They said it's, it's in, even though it was out. Theme got all upset. He lost that game 5-4, loses the first set 6-4, loses the next 6-3, 6-2, he just couldn't do it. And what's happened is that when you play Nadal, Nadal goes in and says, I'm ready for five hours, and I'm going to be perfect for five hours. Like, this is going to be Jordan, LeBron. This is what we're going to have. And these other young players cannot, in their mind, play that hard for five hours, yeah. make every point count. And they used to play in every, besides the Grand Slams, everything is best of three sets. They're lucky to be able to get three sets out of playing like that. And Nadal's attitude is, I'm going to be hitting the ball on ground strokes at 100 miles an hour in the this set five hours from now. Are you ready? Can you handle this? And mentally, they can, you know, like Theme was at 4 4. He was there. He was playing. But he, and he's one of the top play, 10 players in the world. He could not play with Nadal. It is to watch Nadal, to watch Federer. Uh, Federer did not enter this tournament. Wimbledon's coming up. I'm excited about that. But again, these are the two greatest players of all time. There's no doubt about it. I mean, theirs is just tremendous to watch Nadal and Federer. And he played great and uh, just. Uh, his, he played phenomenal, and to just to look at, again, another young gun coming up, challenging Nadal, not being able to play long, more than like a 45 minutes against him mentally and be able to hit the strokes. Steam has the strokes. Steam can play well, but it's be able to consistently do that point after point after point. That's why Nadal, Federer, Djokovic, Murray, they're so much better than everybody else. Before we wrap this up, uh, 811 I Run Sports, True Oldies Channel. We do have some breaking news out of the boxing world. Uh, heavyweight world title holder Deontay Wilder, he's agreed to terms to fight Anthony Joshua um, in an undisputed title uh, later this year in the United Kingdom. We'll talk about that coming up on Iron Sports. But right now, you were big on this fight, and you thought it was going to be kind of lopsided, and it was. Terrence Crawford beat Joe Horn in, didn't he? 
Yeah, people love Crawford, and they think he's a great fighter. We just need to have him fight someone that's going to be good. And that's what I did not see that Wilder-Joshua, but it's a heavyweight fight. Um, it's, as Joshua's tremendous. It's going to be, again, we need a big fight. We need those big fights. We need the fighters fighting each other. Um, the Horn-Crawford uh, uh, fight was not competitive at all. Um, but that Joshua Wilder is a great thing because really, if you look on the horizon for the summer, we go through two and a half months now. Uh, the U.S. after the U.S. Open, you have Wimbledon, you have a lot of other sports. That's why boxing, it's nice to have some good boxing matches in the summer to sort of take that Friday and Saturday nights. Uh, there's really nothing on the table that gets everybody excited. Um, so I'd you know, like to see some, you know, put together something in the next couple of months. But I'm, I think they're looking for the fall uh, for their match. But uh, definitely Crawford is, is, people think, you know, again, one of the top two or three fighters in the world, and, and he's fighting on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, you want to see him in a big fight. I mean, these fighters got to be fighting, and they, they, they need to fight like Wilder and Joshua. Instead of discussing and negotiating for two years, they got to, like Pacquiao did with Mayweather, they just got to, when, they, when they're, they're supposed to be the two best in the world, just fight each other. Well, there's a reason that you hadn't heard that yet. It was just uh, broke about two minutes ago here on Iron Sports. <laughs> this is breaking news you can only get right here. We are about out of time, though. I do want to always fr- uh, thank our friend Scott Deal, professional golfer. Wish him the best of luck in China. I want to see him back on the PGA Tour uh, next season. Ira, where are you going? Uh, I'll be at Shinnecock on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Um, it's unfortunately, <laughs> Tiger usually tees off early on Thursday and late on Friday because they want for television ratings, they'd rather him yeah. finishing on Friday when more people are home watching. So they reversed it this time. He's teeing off later on Thursday. I mean, he's teeing off an early Friday. I can't get out there too early. I might actually miss Tiger, so I need him to make the cut to see him on Saturday and Sunday. <laughs> so, uh, but it'll be exciting. I, I, I love this. It'll be, I'm, I'm pumped for this. Regardless, we are out of time. This is Ira on Sports 95.9, the True Oldies Channel. Sean McGregor, Ira, I'm Mike Balsamo. Let's catch up next Monday night on Ira on Sports.